Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with award-winning author Conard Hogan. As a freelance writer of creative nonfiction, he writes to share his experiences and inspire hope for those struggling to heal from trauma. His trauma survivor journey as a Vietnam veteran and an adult child of an alcoholic, assisted by his work as a recovery therapist and enthusiast of outdoor adventure, has led him to writing fiction and nonfiction, primarily memoir. We cover his exciting life full of travels and overcoming adversity and so much more enjoy well yeah man it's great to meet you and i want to begin our conversation you've had quite a journey in this life i want to begin with the journey we all went through for about three and a half years which was covid how did you get uh, through the pandemic and how did it change you ah uh, well good question um i had just had knee surgery prior to that in july of uh, 2019 had had about about six months of uh, rehabilitation and just had finished and gotten to the goals that my orthopedist had uh, had uh, designed for me as far as my leg range of motion. And so luckily I had completed that before the lockdown occurred. And then when the lockdown occurred, of course, um, not of course, but my wife and I had been in the mode of um, being retired for a few years, uh, traveling at least twice a year or so we tried to. So of course those came to a halt. Um, and then we um, adhered to the lockdown uh, fairly closely, stayed at home um, and did a lot of Zoom meetings with my Rotary Club that we're both members of. So we had quote unquote social contact that way. And and one of the things we decided to do as well during that time was to try to support our local restaurants <clears throat> by ordering a takeout dinner um, once every Friday. So we did that. Um, and I had been writing, oh, for since 1990 or so, going to writers' conferences and whatnot, hadn't been published at that point, but it had an interest in writing and learning how to write, um, improve my writing, I should say. I started writing when, when I was in the first grade. <laughs> Joke. I like it. <laughs> and, I did, and, and I had uh, started to have some social media presence um, on Facebook and LinkedIn prior to the lockdown. But after about six months of the lockdown, I decided I needed to get off it and do something with my writing. Um, I had had three manuscripts to various levels of, of um, polish. Um, so uh, in that process, I, I found a consultant, started working on my social media presence, decided I would work on getting one of my manuscripts published and 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 that's um uh once upon a kentucky farm <clears throat> which by the way was the last manuscript i'd started working on and so um as i worked toward getting that published um and then and so i had to do a lot of work in that regard learning a lot with with the hybrid publisher i worked with then after I'd had it released, uh, had to do marketing on that. So working with my consultant throughout that process. And then right, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. This past, uh, <clears throat> and, and so that was published in March of 23. 
I'm sorry, 22. And then uh, after that, decided after a few months of marketing that book <clears throat> to work on another manuscript to get it published. And so I've gotten a second memoir published, uh, Barbar Brothels and Bombs in the Night, Surviving Vietnam, which was released June of this year. So this past couple of years, I've been really focused on getting those manuscripts polished, published, and working on my social media. And not only just the publishing aspect, but the marketing is really a, a heavy burden, I think, for authors, whether they're self-published or traditionally published. That's just the nature of the beast nowadays. There's a lot of marketing required. So busy with those things. And then after, as the pandemic lifted and my wife and I were getting immunizations, then we started to pick up travel again. We, we traveled to Europe in um, about mid last year. And since that time, we've had several more uh, uh, travel um, adventures, of which I do blog about and have on my website. So that's kind of what I've been up to. Okay. Um, the gist you know, of it anyway. Yeah, no, the, I, I dig it. Uh, so I'm curious, if I was to put you in front of a bunch of third graders at career day, and the kids... Uh -huh obviously would know you're a writer, but if they wanted to peel back the layers of what you've done in your life, as far as a professional, how would you answer them? If they wanted to know, what do you, what do you, what did you do for a living or what do you do for a living now? The bulk of what I did for a living was to work with drug and alcohol recovery initially, and then um, work with individuals suffering from major psychiatric disorders as a licensed marriage and family therapist. And that was 20, that was uh, just over a 25 year span, wow. uh, retiring in 2005. So my orientation was to help others recover from their difficulties dealing with issues and then primarily drug and alcohol and major psychiatric disorders. So what did you want to be in the third grade? What was your dream to grow up and become? Well, I don't know if it was the third grade, but I really got into interest in the space race when I was in junior high and decided when I went into high school, we had opportunity to determine electives at that point that I wanted to go heavy into sciences. And luckily enough, I had an opportunity to study Russian in high school. And all of those combined, uh, I thought, was setting me up for a fairly solid foundation to become an astronaut. And I really did want to do that. Yeah. Once I completed high school, I went and got into engineering school, joined Air Force ROTC. Uh, however, several things conspired to waylay my plans. Um, within a quarter or two, we were on a quarter system rather than semester system. My grades weren't, weren't, Fantastic. And at some point, I, be, I uh, was identified on the dean's list, not for the good grades, but for the not good grades, um, because I didn't really study a lot. I hadn't had to do that in high school. And so that kind of gave me a warning signal. And then during that first year, I think it was my freshman year, toward the latter part, we had a psych test in the Air Force ROTC. And I was so slow in answering the questions, I didn't answer enough questions for them to, to consider they had a valid test. So in a sense, I flunked it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, well, 
you know, hey, it doesn't quite measure up, but hey, you, you can stay in ROTC and retake the test next year. And within a few months after that or around that time, my eyes started going bad and I developed myopia. So it required glasses. I knew at that point I couldn't become a fighter pilot or probably any other pilot in the Air Force and certainly not an astronaut. And the idea of becoming a pilot was to my way up to become an astronaut. Yeah. So the dream fell apart. And after it was about a year and a half, I made a decision. I'm not going to suffer the embarrassment or humiliation of being uh, having a bouncer throw me out of school. So I dropped out. Okay. And ended up in the army at that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get to the heart and soul of what you decided to do vocationally wise. I mean, now you're a writer, but you were helping people for a long time. Take me back uh, to where you were born and raised and how these seeds were planted into you to, to follow that path. Okay. Well, coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, but that was exactly the focus of my first memoir, um, Once Upon a Kentucky Farm, which the subtitle is Hope and Healing from Family Abuse, Alcoholism, and, or Alcohol, and dysfunction. I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, my father had been in World War II in the Navy in the Pacific, and he, at least part of the time, drove landing craft to deliver the Marines to the beaches um, in the retaking the beaches from the Japanese. And he, I think, in hindsight, I can look back and say he was, he had post uh, PTSD. At one point, my mother said he had had nightmares for quite a while after the war. So I grew up with a dad. He was dealing with his PTSD on his own using alcohol to self-medicate. It's not, my mother didn't work. She took care of myself. And then as when my brother was born, he, he as well. So she was a stay-at-home mom, basically, and uh, for the most part. And with only one income, um, when my dad did try to self-medicate with alcohol, he would usually do that after he got his paycheck on Friday night. My mother and father would argue over his spending the money for that. As a result of not having sufficient money, he was had been a carpenter, was a carpenter, built our house that we lived in for a few years. As a result of lack of money, we lost that house. He declared bankruptcy. Anyway, their fighting really put me... Um, on edge, um, trained me, I guess you might say, I had OJT on the job training, to be very observant and mindful of interaction of others around me, um, very, very uh, detail-oriented. I'd always had a mind, I liked school, that was one reason I liked school was to be, not be at home, which was, you know, very stressful. Um, so I was astute uh, observer of interaction, particularly between my mom and my dad. And I was deathly afraid he would kill her or she would die. And so um, it put me in a mind frame of trying to resolve conflict. Again, that was my OJT. Yeah. Um, later on, after uh, I had gone to Vietnam, um, ending up being drafted in, in, in the army in Vietnam, I had given up that point on becoming an astronaut. I had to resolve and face reality about that. I didn't know what I would do, but I decided I wanted to help others. I could see the poverty in Vietnam. 
the trauma of the war and the loss and struggle people were having trying to live in that, trying to survive in that situation. So I decided I wanted to do something like social work after I came back to the stateside and was uh, honorably discharged from the army. I decided to see if I could get a degree in social work. As it turned out, I ended up at Western Kentucky university. They did not have a bachelor's in social work. Instead, I got a bachelor's in sociology, but I wanted to study humanistic sciences. So I got a minor in psychology and a minor in social work, then decided to migrate to California. At the time, their educational system was fairly inexpensive for residents. So I decided I wanted to attempt at least or look into becoming a social worker. Uh, after I came to California, the first thing <laughs> the social work school wanted was like a seven page autobiography. And I thought, I don't want to write a seven-page autobiography. <laughs> As it turned out, I took a uh, course in marriage and family therapy. Subsequently, got licensed, and my first full-time job was in a drug and alcohol, adult drug and alcohol residential treatment program. So that started me out in my career as far as drug and alcohol recovery, which kind of fit down my alley. When I was interviewing for that job, they were asking me questions and I was thinking back to my dad drinking. I said, well, I can relate to that. That's familiar to me. I kind of know what that's about. I think I can, you know, I, I, I'm not street wise. I wasn't a drug addict. I'd never been in jail at that point. And so I still had a little bit of cred, I think, <laughs> to be able to relate to those individuals. So I, I said, sure, I'll, I'll do that. So you've had to really pull a lot of strength in your life, obviously, going through a war and the way you grew up. Who's been a hero for you in your life? You know, I don't know if I can really answer that question. Uh, I, could, I could probably think of a number of individuals over time. I really liked the idea of the adventurers. I, I remember Lowell Thomas on television, and he, would, he was a reporter as I grew up. Um, I loved writing about adventures, uh, the, the, those individuals that went to the South Pole or attempted or went to the North Pole. Um, a little later on, Edmund Hillary, when he summited Everest. Um, so I was more drawn to the, the natural adventure type explorers. Um, I, I think that would be one of those would be my heroes. They were willing to, to struggle against adversity, to put themselves in unknown situations. It was that challenge, that aspect of challenge and their willingness to face the challenge. I think that in my mind made them heroes that I kind of wanted to look up to. And, and I think that was because I needed to do that myself. Maybe that was an in, in, intuitive, instinctive thing for my healing process. I don't know for sure. I couldn't say that, but uh, it may have been. Speaking of writing, you know, you picked it up late. What was the first book that you ever read that really gave you that bug for loving stories and writing? Gosh, I don't know. I don't know what it was. It's been, it was probably a long time ago. I did like Walter Mitty. Uh, was it Thurber's uh, short story about Walter Mitty? I did like that. It was really intriguing to me. And that was like, gosh, I must have been like 10 years old at the time. Yeah. Um, but I did, I did get into reading some before. Well, let me backtrack a little bit. After that, right around the end of high school, I got interested in reading Freud and dream analysis. So I was kind of already tinkering with what's going on in my head. Why was I dreaming this? What does that mean? Later on, as as I 
had matured and done other things, I got interested in reading Mark Twain. And he's probably my favorite author. And I loved his style. I still do. I've tried to imitate it sometimes. I thought he had a great sense of humor. Um, he was, I thought, a well-traveled individual and had a had an open-mindedness about him. So I loved his his writing. Um, sorry, I've lost a train of thought there. I've no, you're good. Off no, you answered it. Okay. No, no that's okay. good. And I want to go into the next one here. And I'm curious, did, you know, you're obviously putting your story down on the page with these books, but was it uh -huh. a cathartic kind of, was it, was it cathartic? Was it healing for you to go through that? I mean, obviously it's hard to go through old memories, but right. after everything was said and done, you put the book out. Was there a level of relief? Well, I think so. Um, it it wasn't like um, a sigh kind of intensity about relief, but I in look at writing as an extension of the communication process, where the the most intensive and and important I think important aspect of communication for us humans is eye to eye contact. When you have the nonverbal communication, that's the unspoken. It's there. It's immediate. We react to it. We may not even be aware of it. Then the next level is the spoken word. And that can happen face to face or nowadays it could happen electronically as we are now with, on, on this uh, interview. The next step would be in writing the written word. And the written word is in a sense, written on stone, it can last a long time and echo down the ages to different generations. So that's the last, in a sense, last communication style that we can have. And I liked the idea of writing as, as that last piece of communication for me um, in that it would record um, some of my experiences hopefully in a good way and hopefully thoroughly or in an understandable way for readers. And I didn't really set out, I don't think, to write um, in, that, in that way. That was like unconscious or more of an interest. I did know that, and I still do, have a, have a skill for describing a scene and helping the reader get into the scene. I wasn't so good about story arc and all of that and have worked on that hopefully i'm better at it um but when i i've always had a penchant for working to be honest and so as i wrote these in in a way to be honest it was like i was taking that step as i say in 12 steps um quote unquote fearless moral inventory to try to take a serious look at myself and and in a way I kind of rooted out some of the cobwebs and in the process of writing it down crystallized those things that I never really um, solidified in my mind. Writing has a way to force you to solidify your thoughts and you can always change it but it, it's difficult to write something without uh, thinking it through and, and being able to examine it and turn it upside down or around. Um, so once I had done that, it helped in my mind um, kind of settle out the dust or the cobwebs um, to say, yeah, that's what happened. That's how I see it. Um, so 
hopefully that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, it certainly does. So you've traveled a lot. What's been one of the most yes. um, surprisingly magical, beautiful places you've ever seen? Oh, wow. Magical, beautiful. My goodness. You just didn't expect it. It just kind of hit you from left field. I don't know if I could say there was one. I mean, I I had a lot of places I've gone. I never would have dreamt it as a child. I would have liked to have gone as a child. I was thinking, oh, that's, you know, it would be nice. But I never really thought that I'd ever do that. Never really dreamt I would be, I would could go into a, a tomb in um, one of the pyramids in Egypt. Never thought I could go to Antarctica. Um, never thought I'd stand on a high mountain like uh, Denali in Alaska. Um, I, I aspired to it, um, fantasized about it, thought, well, maybe, but not really believed that, that I could do that. So I think it may have not been specifically a place, but just the different places to be able to say, I've witnessed that, I've done that, I've been there. Something that most most people will never experience. Something lucky and humbled that I was able to be there to do that. Yeah, that's a great uh, is, answer. Is more is is more is more of the important aspect of those for me anyway. Yeah. So of all of the things that you've done and overcome and evolved into in your life, what are you the proudest of? The proudest? I think of being able to uh, write and have at least two books uh, published at this point. I mean, those are a legacy that will be there in writing, and who knows who will read them and when they read them or what they think about them, but that will, that's part of my legacy. Yeah. 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 What's the, what's the best advice you've ever gotten? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the best advice. Uh, I don't know. I think, um, <laughs> shut up <laughs> might be the best <laughs> advice. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to think. It's hard to think about the best advice. I, I tend to be, as you probably can gather or ha have surmised, um, it's difficult for me to pick one one thing out of a group. Yeah, I get it's it. It's like I, I, somebody might ask, "What's your favorite flavor of ice cream?" Well, I don't have a favorite. I have a few. <laughs> right. So I like we, lots of things. So if we had magnetic poetry on your refrigerator, it wouldn't be one line it would be a paragraph <laughs> there's no telling what it would be yeah and it changes over time at That's one point right. i had um and death shall have no dominion i had that kind of written out in a little piece of paper and kept it in my wallet but you know i've moved on from there <laughs> yeah 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 for sure so let me ask you this everyone has a perception of you family friends all of your fans that read your books <clears throat> everyone around you but you ultimately run the show What's yeah. your perception of you? Who do you think you are? I'm a multifaceted earthling, sincere, um, honest, compl complex and complicated with some contradictions, by the way. <laughs> and, and what I want to do is to share myself with the world and enjoy the experiences of the universe. What a great answer. Now, 
I love if, it. If you if you ask me that question tomorrow, I wouldn't say it's the same way. Well, I'll tell you what. That's the reason why we do this. It's a snapshot <laughs> in time. You did really, really good. Honored. If anyone wants to pick up your books, learn more about you, reach out to you, where's the best place to go? Uh, the best place, easiest place would be Amazon. You can you can find the uh, digital copy on Amazon, the paperback print on Amazon. If you don't like Amazon, you could go to many other places. I've seen it on websites like Barnes and Nobles and whatnot. So you could probably order it from any number of outlets. Um, yeah, that would be the best place to go. Now, I have copies myself at home, but if you don't live near me, that's kind of very difficult to arrange <laughs> unless so you want to do travel. So if you're in a place, say, like Kansas City, it's probably not going to work. <laughs> no. <laughs> that hey, would be man. expensive. Yeah, right. Copy that <laughs> yeah, for sure it would be. Connor, you got a fascinating story. I love your outlook, your energy. Thank you for opening up and giving me your story today. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on, Joe. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Yeah.